Quick note to our listeners, today's interview is recorded on a boat and using a new mic. You may hear some background noise, but I think you'll find what the guests have to say is so interesting, you'll hardly notice. It's creative people using engineering skills right, to solve problems and, and knowing when just enough is enough. This is The Next Level, a Packet Pushers community channel show where real network professionals charge into difficult IT management situations, lead from the front, and get it right. Join us as we ask the hard questions that most people are too afraid to ask and figure out how to drive the positive change you want to see. We'll take you from the CLI to CIO. Agile is a set of principles for software development, and if you've ever worked with developers or DevOps professionals, you've probably encountered a lot of Agile terminology. We covered some basic terminology in part one of this series, and today we're joined by an experienced Agile coach and an IT recruiter to find out how Agile can improve IT infrastructure projects and careers. Joining us today is John Stahl, Agile and Lean Coach, President at Lean Dog. John, would you please introduce yourself and tell the audience a little bit about your technical and business background? Sure. Um, I'm John Stahl, President of Lean Dog, and uh, I've been uh, practicing Agile for about 15 years now. Um, so prior to starting Lean Dog, I was helping transform a, a company with 20,000 people in IT to work Agile. So I spent se- seven years doing that, and, uh, and then I left to start my own company. And so uh, that's what we do. We help companies create an agile, lean type culture. And then we also, um, on a, in our office boat that we're on today, we uh, also have a design and, and delivery studio. So we build products, Internet of Things, things like that. And also joining us today is Don Swit, owner and purveyor of tech talent with Next IT Staffing. Don, could you introduce yourself and give us a little bit of your technical and business background? Sure. I'm Don Swit with Next IT Staffing. I have been in IT in Northeast Ohio for uh, 25 years and started off in software development, worked for a couple of large employers in town, including the Cleveland Clinic and Progressive Insurance. Last year, uh, actually a little over a year ago, started Next IT Staffing, so left a corporate gig to, uh, similar to John, to uh, start a business. And uh, so now I'm on the other side of it. Now I work with companies to help them find uh, the right talent for the right opportunity. Uh, also in my spare time, I teach a project management class at Kent State University. And I've done that for uh, since 2012. So it's been about four years that I have been teaching at Kent State. And the class that I teach at Kent is waterfall project management. We touch a little bit on Agile. So it's more of that traditional waterfall approach. Mm-hmm. Um, in my, when I was an IT practitioner, uh, was an earlier adopter of Agile, had uh, worked on Agile projects, managed Agile projects. So I've seen it from a few different angles. Fantastic. Well, thanks for being with us. Uh, and by the way, I'm Drew Conry-Murray, and my co-host is Damian Hoising, and we'll be bringing you today's show. So, John, we'll kick it off. Uh, I understand that one of the hats you wear is Agile and Lean Coach. You know, For an audience of network engineers who may not be all that familiar with Agile, can you summarize what Agile means in your own words? But basically, um, Agile is a set of values and principles, right? So the folks that created the Agile Manifesto.org, they got together at a ski resort in Utah, and they all had the same passion for kind of working incrementally, working in short increments. Um, and it came out of that writing the Agile Manifesto. And basically, they had things like individual interactions we value over processing tools. Doesn't mean we don't value processing tools. When push comes to shove, we know that uh, collaborating with people is, is a much better process. Uh, working software over documentation, 
collaboration over contract negotiation and responding to change over following a plan. So those are kind of the core uh, values. And there's a whole set of 20-something principles that if you read the principles, and most people have never read them, they actually support the value system. Another take on it is lean. Um, you could argue that lean was around before Agile. Uh, the difference to Agile is Agile really brought the product owner into the game. Uh, lean was purely ma- more manufacturing-focused and assembly line manufacturing. Uh, Agile took some of those concepts and, and then, like I said, pulled the product owner right into the front of the process. And then that's, that was probably the big, biggest significant change between the two. So we could we teach both. Um, we've written a book. Um, we call it the Agile Discussion Guide. We have about 60 topics we teach. Uh, some are from extreme programming. Some are from Scrum. Some are from Lean. Some are from psychology, sociology, mm-hmm. servant leadership. Um, anything, basically, that helps you create high-performing teams. That's really the goal. Thanks, John. Don, I was wondering, is there anything high-level you want to add or perhaps differentiating from waterfalls that you have so much background in the project management side? Yeah, so John really touched on you know the beginning of Agile, the Agile Manifesto, and a bunch of dudes got together at you know a ski resort, and they really had passion in the industry. They were already, many of them, experts in their own right in managing and delivering software projects, but they realized that the waterfall approach, the traditional method, had a lot of issues. You know, you ended up with customers that weren't happy or projects that weren't delivered on time. And so the manifesto, like John touched on the different points, really was a solution to a problem. I think one of the one of the key things that at least stood out for me when I was managing and very early on in Agile and it's and it's 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 come a long way since when when I started working with Agile, but one of the big benefits of going from waterfall to Agile is just-in-time requirements gathering. And so where you used to have to in waterfall make your customers define everything up front, people don't like to think, oh, I need you to define every last detail of the scope of this project. They don't like that. People don't think in those terms Hey, guess what? In Agile, you can def- you can define the requirements as you go, and we don't mind if you change uh, your mind down the line, or you have to add something that you didn't think of early on. So that's in addition to what John said. Um, you know, my thoughts on Agile. One of the things that precipitated my interest in seeking out experts in this is. Um, you know, right now, our primary listeners are in IT infrastructure, network engineering, server administrators, server engineers, things of that nature. So, um, you know, whereas developers are creating something new, traditionally in IT infrastructure, we are assembling commercial off-the-shelf equipment and systems to put together a solution, often against a reference architecture published by a vendor or an industry standard and best practices. But one of the pain points that a lot of engineers feel is that some people would like to have the sense of completeness, right? That we've, we've, we've done all the best practices and we've, we've done, you know, uh, as uh, per the reference architecture, uh, but it's not really done. I wondered, is there something that we can learn from Agile in terms of what it means to be complete? Should they be thinking about delivering user stories over time versus getting to a specific state? The way I like to think about Agile is that what we do, the science, right? The computer science of things. Um, it's a creative process, right? There, it, it's, we have a choice how far we go or how far we don't go in almost everything we do, right? So, um, if you look back at, at nomenclature, um, people say we build things. Well, it's not like building a house. When you build a house and you repeat that house 
over and over and over again. Everything we build is a creative process. I could go this thing, I could go really far with it, or I could go just enough. The big difference in agile, that's why we don't fix scope, because it's a creative process. Right? We don't, we aren't just, we were building the exact house, the exact spec, the same way every time. And we always did that. It's plausible to say that we could, we could estimate how much work that is. We would, we could know the risks. So let's say we we're building a house. The risk might be weather, but we could probably account for that, right? The risk might be getting uh, supplies and materials. So it assumes that you can kind of manage the risk in pretty good correlation with estimating the time to do something. That's not what we do, right? And I think that's true for, for all the, all the other ones, networking data centers like that. You have the creative freedom on how far you go in implementing standards. You can implement the full recommended standards or part of the standards. Um, there's business trade-off things in what you do. So, um, I think that, that's the big change. And, I, and people, some people say to me, well, it's, does it really apply for, for those kind of things? I'm sure it does. It's creative people using engineering skills, right? To solve problems and, and knowing when just enough is enough. When is it, when is there enough security, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not do, right. do the full security to the nth degree. It's a balance, the business trade-off decision. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, I've helped teams, infrastructure teams, data center teams, uh, create standing teams, create backlog, create walls, do retrospectives, do show and tells, uh, talk about the standard of work. Um, how do we improve the standard, right? Cause there's a lot, mm-hmm. there are a lot more standards in that space than there are in the pure software space. So, um, yeah, I think, I think agile applies to everything. And typically, um, with the infrastructure teams, I usually recommend more of a Kanban approach or a Scrum Bond approach than a pure Scrum approach. Um, the pool-based thinking um, usually works better because you guys often are, are working in the highest value first all of the time, and you just you need to get it done and get and you only have so much capacity. So it's not much different. It's just that your, your product owners are different than our product owners. When we're talking like real customers, you're, you're supporting those product owners. So if I'm listening correctly to what you're saying that a lot of the principles can apply, but maybe in a little bit different way because the, the owners are, are the product owners are a little bit different in that case. Yeah. So so maybe a hybrid approach would, would work. So you you guys are more techie than we are in the sense that explaining security to a product owner (laughs) who doesn't really understand threats and all the things that you're right. You you have a different job than we do. Ours is a little bit, Hey, we're going to build it and show it to you. You're going to touch it. Mm -hmm. Right. But you don't see that with security. Right? You don't know about security until you have a problem or you, or you don't have a problem, then you appreciate it. So I think, um, yeah, I think it definitely applies, uh, for, for, you know, mm-hmm. like, so we have a book of 60 things. There might be 20, 30 things in there that might help you. Uh, maybe not all 60. Um, clearly you aren't, if you're not writing code, you don't do test driven development, but you still have to support, right? You're supporting us, um, right? By, by making those things work. So, you know, Agile is more about creating high performing teams and high performing mm-hmm. organizations that are, they're continually learning. That's the lean aspect is, are we continually learning and we're always trying to improve? Are we trying to improve throughput, flow, customer satisfaction? It doesn't matter what your engineering discipline is. Um, you have the same goal to solve problems. It's really the individual people in the room or on the team that defy, decide how far you go. Short of having an auditor standing yeah. outside your door to check a box or if he yeah. has specific government or common criteria requirements, it's really up to you if you go fully depth or yeah. not. And so how should we be making those decisions about how far, how deep we go to, to so, go to the minimum viable product or yeah. all the way? One of the big things that's underutilized in, in Agile is pairing. And I'm not talking about developers pairing, but everybody pairing. I pair in management, QA, VA, every role. Even um, we, we were working with a, a DevOps team trying to spin up boxes and environments. Mm-hmm. And, and that was part of our iteration zero because we had to stand up this team. And we said, well, geez, um, Eric over here, he's not an infrastructure guy. But can he pair with you? Just so he gets an appreciation of what it takes to configure these machines and learn from you. So um, I think high-performing people, like the value, one of the challenges I see is that we, we all get pigeonholed into one role. 
Like, hey, I got a computer programming degree, so I'm getting judged by how I program. Well, I wouldn't mind learning how to configure something and set up an environment and do that. Why wouldn't I? It's techie. It's fun. So I think uh, pairing um, on infrastructure and teams, any any team, it, you just go faster. The key is you do just enough. It's no different than if I'm going to write you an important email. I'm going to look at this email. I'm like, okay, you, you, is this is this clear? And I'm going to ask you. And you finally going to say, oh, you know what? That's just enough. And I'm not going to like belabor it forever and ever. Or I just pick up the phone and call. Same thing when you're configuring something. Same thing when you're coding something, right? By pairing, you're like, okay, John, you're overthinking this. Stop. Or you, or or I don't, or let me take the keyboard and show you how I would have configured this or done this work or installed this. And so you, it, creating that cross team learning. Um, is incredibly value for high-performing teams. You know, it's not always give it to the person that can do it the fastest every time. So by combining the talents, by pairing, you can tie their center of mass somewhere to where it should be so yeah. that they're not going too far in any one direction. Yeah, is I mean, that, you know, a services team is, is often shared, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you're serving many customers. And so yeah. you never know exactly what kind of work is going to come into that team. It's going to vary based on whatever projects get fired up or whatever happens with business models or business scaling or something like that. So just getting that, that teamwork saying we are a service organization that's, and, and we're willing to cross train on all of these things, right? Our, even our developers, they, they should be able to code in three or four languages. Um, I don't want the best Java, best Ruby, best .NET developer, right? I want the, the team that knows the most technology because with the, therefore they can, they can solve the biggest variety of problems. Right, because I don't know what problem I have to solve day to day. I can try to predict it, but I really don't know if I'm listening to my customers in the business. I'm not a network engineer, but I talk with a lot of network engineers and listen to network engineers, and I know that there's a feeling sometimes on the networking side that if there's a problem with an application or a service, the first team that gets blamed is the net. It's got to be a network problem, and if now you're coming and talking about an application development process where there's not so much emphasis on documentation, the project scope isn't ever really defined or finished. If I'm a network guy, I'm rolling my eyes a little bit and thinking, oh, great, now what? How do you sort of overcome those kind of, I don't want to say inbred hostilities, but the you know these the, the feeling that, okay, you're, you're doing this cool groovy thing over here, but then when it's actually got to run, I'm the guy or woman who's going to take the hit. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so often in the release, release planning stage of a project, we fail to include all of the supporting service teams. Okay. If you're doing it right. Um, in fact, even when we coach on how to like, like pick projects in the PMO and, and guide value, we actually score like, Hey, we're going to do this project, but we need infrastructure. We need security. We need data. Like how many other teams do we have to collaborate? Because we know the more outside team collaboration we do, the higher the risk, right? Why? Because we have two, two sets of humans that have to achieve things lock in lockstep together to execute. So the biggest fail is that during that, when we first created the backlog of cards, and we put the cards up on the wall and we build a team wall that has a picture of everybody that's critical to success that we include all those folks. <laughs> and we bring the folks into that room and they look at this, this release plan on the wall saying, okay, in sprint one, we're going to do this, two, three, four. Okay. I don't know infrastructure and security. What does this mean to you guys? <laughs> and, and, and so we need to include you guys as part of the team in the planning session. Um, because, and then we might find that, wow, you know what? And, and in the fourth phase, we're going to, we're going to be at this point and we're going to need more infrastructure. But you guys don't have capacity or, or you don't have, we haven't thought far enough in advance. The, the beauty of Agile is it's kind of like a Gantt chart, but it's a living, breathing Gantt chart on a wall. And everybody's in front of that wall saying, okay, is this the right plan? What could possibly go wrong? What are the risks? What do I need to do to ensure success? And, and that's one of the, that's, uh, that, that's one of the biggest missteps that teams take. They get the done, meaning I coded it, but I can't deploy it because I didn't actually talk to everybody else that supports this. And so I really can't get the, I, I can't ship. <laughs> if I can't ship, I can't make money. 
So it really is a team sport. Um, we have to, we have to, we, ha- we have to invite you guys even to the product show and tells. Um, there's all kinds of different touch points that we have to invite um, service-oriented teams into, and we often fail to do that. I'll add on to that something, John, that you said was about pair programming and or pairing. Okay. And so maybe you take someone from the infrastructure side and the apps side, and like in iteration zero early on, hey, well let's let's let app app and infrastructure folks sit together and do some of the infrastructure side or conversely letting an infrastructure person pair with an applications developer and maybe less of that finger pointing occurs. You really do have more of a cohesive team versus the us versus them um, that you can sometimes get in a traditional model. Yeah. And and I will say too, that your question about the production support, um, I believe every agile team, if they build it, they should support it, right? So, so they should support the build and the run. We should, the business doesn't care why we don't get something done if it was infrastructure or, or development. It doesn't matter. They just want it done. They want a shippable product that can earn money for the company. So we have to act as one team. And so that even includes like our goal should be zero defects. I mean, we have many customers that have two, two to four defects a year. And, and, they, and when we get one, we're like, holy crap, how did that happen? Did we not, you know, what, you know, you know, depending on what it is, some things we don't have control of. We, we can't do test-driven development, acceptance test-driven development, continuous integration. Not every technology supports that. But if it can, there, there shouldn't be a reason why we can't get the two to four defects. It really, from, from a bug perspective, then there's, okay, can you guys do your magic to keep it all running? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right? And, the scaling. And towards your point of like detecting bugs early and often, I really like Don's point that pairing early in the process and so like a skill set like an infrastructure engineer who can do uh, packet captures and protocol reassemblies yep. can be helping during system and integration testing sure during, during the yeah we, we invite the infrastructure everybody to come sit with our team when we do these things that's all that's a culture change right because they're like oh, I have this war room where I build and make and do things but yeah. um, but right off the, the, the beginning um, even in the team wall we, we have pictures of the people outside of that team that are going to be we're critical to our success but Don, I'm really interested to ask you about something you had once of a hybrid approach, sort of being agile within a waterfall step. And mm-hmm. do you think that agile can always be applied or or not? Are there some times when you should apply and some that you shouldn't? And can you maybe talk about any examples that come to mind? I, I saw a successful uh, hybrid approach uh, utilized. And so you had senior leaders that were not comfortable without having the traditional stage gates. You know, I want to know, I want to have phase reviews after the initiation in, in, in the waterfall terminology, the initiation phase, and then after you've done some planning. And, uh, and so I did see a successful implementation of a traditional waterfall stage gate with the overall project life cycle, but the execution phase of that life cycle was done iteratively where you had business analysts working with uh, the business writing requirements, that next iteration, the developers and testers took those story cards, implemented them. And so you had that continuous build, constant integration, business was was close and occupying the same space. And that seemed to work well. So if you do have any reservations, perhaps on not being able to define, well, when is this project going to be done and how can we lock down scope but still have that creative ability and the ability to do just-in-time requirements. I have seen that hybrid approach work. Thanks. That's that's a good point. So in that case, if I'm hearing correctly, one possible example where you can't just go full bore agile out of the gate is an organization that's not accustomed to it. And so they have to 
gain a, a comfort level, and so you're kind of going in a phased, stepwise approach to get them in the, in the right path. Yeah. And then eventually, you know, maybe if they do get comfortable with, hey, this Agile is good, we really like it, the business likes it, we've had success, then maybe you do lean more towards, uh, or you, you do work your way more towards a traditional all agile approach. So how do you, um, sort of start that discussion? If, you know, a typical infrastructure engineering shop might be more ITIL focused, which is, you know, sort of very regimented, very controlled. We only do control changes after we, we only make changes after we've had a meeting about it and it's all logged in our CMDB and, you know, very, very step-by-step, very, you know, you know, how do you get these cultures, you know, integrated and working together? Um, so typically, anytime we engage a company, right off the bat, we a couple things. One, we know that we're going to be coaching at the executive, the PMO, and the team level. It's not just mm-hmm. the teams getting better. It's creating a better culture. Um, we recognize that standards have to be measured, right, whether it's ITIL, whether it's uh, CMMIs, all those kind of things. We, we right away also engage the auditors and say, how can we how can we do this? How can we document this? Um, We've we gotten... Some extreme where, you know, it's, we, we try to go the latest weight possible. So, hey, I'll take a picture of something and I'll check it into GitHub with the code, right? To prove to you that the, this is, this was a security standard at the time of this code checking in, right? In the mm-hmm. time we ship. So we try to get, um, we try to lighten up the process by, by first, I don't understand ITIL. Um, I, I used to manage some operation stuff and I, I think whenever ITIL scared me out of it. <laughs> and, uh, and I've been asked this guy should study it. I don't know much about it. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, we really just have to understand your world and your standards. But, I mean, ultimately, we're one, we're one IT team. And we're, we're just trying to do the latest weight thing we can do to get the job done and meet the standard. You know, and, and so we just, we often have that. Our auditors can be our friends if we include them in the process. Uh, Don, would you say that there are times when Agile isn't a good fit? And maybe do you have an example? So John might elbow me, um, and he is the guru. Um, but but I, you know, I have um, I've read about pros and cons of agile, when to use it, when not to use it. You know, would you be able to successfully build a space shuttle with many different teams across the globe, all working, and we need to come together, and all the screws and all the fittings need to need to fit perfectly and we have a launch date already in mind in a case like that where it's the scale is huge a lot of disparate teams and things being farmed out to different vendors perhaps an agile approach in that environment agile in the sense of just-in-time requirements gathering isn't the best approach but agile it in and john talked about the 60 different options, almost like a cafeteria plan that he would recommend. Well, stay lean. You know, that's a good thing. Uh, let's pick maybe from options that you do have to build a high performing team, improve that communication. You know, maybe, maybe not going full on agile in projects where the scope, uh, or the geography of the teams, it doesn't lend itself to agile, but perhaps you pick some things from the agile playbook that do work well in that kind of environment. Counterpoint? <laughs> no, I mean, to me, it's all about leadership. Are you a servant leader or are you command and control? And that's from the top. And so where I, I see it doesn't work, it means you won't support these values and principles. It means you won't, you, you won't, it's a, it's, that's a choice, right? Um, some people, um, I've had bosses like this, they had great success being a command and control and always knowing the answer. Um, agile is not about 
always knowing the answers about removing the roadblocks and empowering the teams to, to do the best they can and, and continually learn. So um, to me, it, it's, it's kind of funny, uh, Gartner and others say, well, geez, 45% of the world's agile. I'm like, how did you survey their values and principles? Because just because they're doing scrum doesn't mean they're agile. That has nothing to do. That's just one of the things that supports that. So uh, to me, it's about can you really create that continual learning environment, like I said, with empowered teams, with, with leaders that support continual learning. And the leader isn't always right. Right. That's they just want the best people around them and, and, and they'll come up with the right solutions. Mm-hmm. Just kind of, you know, two things I picked up on from both of your responses. Yeah. One is that le- leadership culture comes from the top mm-hmm. and, and it's leadership. So whether you're a command and controller or, yep. uh, and you said the other one was servant leadership, servant leadership. And then also you gave an example of, of NASA in terms of one, there are governments that are command and control, but also two, that it's a very large scope and very high risk. And so I think. Maybe the risk is, is a big factor there. I mean, uh, maybe now with Tesla and SpaceX, they're, they're being a little bit more agile than, than NASA was for sure. But, uh, yeah, but w- when there's a really high risk involved, uh, how, how would you, how would you mitigate that, John? If I, yeah, I would have done the, I would have said the opposite. I would say, I would have said the space shuttles, NASA, all these folks. Um, the beauty about agile, since it's so incremental, we're building quality into such an nth degree. Mm. Um, that, that's why agile works because all of this TDD, ATD, continuous integration, we're automating everything. We're even automating the writing of the requirements. They aren't words. Mm-hmm. They're actually, you know, acceptance test driven development, right? It's actually the, a given when then pattern. It's actually executable code. We're trying to take human error out of it. So when it's life, I mean, we help, th- we help two major airlines already do this, right? That we help people that build major airlines. We help, um, we help space agencies. We help all kinds of really cool people with it. They really, they're engineers at the heart and they get quality and they know they can't get quality if they have too much human. That's what, that's when things make a mistake. It's not the technology that fails us. It's, 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 you know, allowing human error into the process. So, yeah. And so, yeah, big, big is relative. I mean, the, We've helped, we've helped companies turn 40,000 people agile programs with, you know, 25 teams working on one program. They, as long as they, they the date wasn't going to change, right? The launch date was going to happen. Um, they had to build enough minimal viable product or each component so they could ship and ship equipment so that, you know, if you're building a space shuttle, you better have all the key components, the thrusters and the, you know, safety systems and the navigation systems. But you, you, but you, what you want to do is just build, build all of those together in very small increments like Tesla does. Mm-hmm. That's actually how they, they engineer as well. So, um, so you think when they originally launched Hubble and they had a problem with their lens, that might have been something that they could have avoided setting up an astronaut with a wrench to fix if they had <laughs> been doing agile in the beginning? Or, or yeah. I think automating their unit testing on their lens and manufacturing. Um, is there a way to do that? I mean, for something physical, yeah. can you, you know, I, do that? So, so we do a lot of uh, physical design downstairs. So we mm-hmm. have mechanical engineers, electrical and, and computer engineers and, and user center designers. Uh, what's pretty wild is kind of just a cool thing. Uh, the 3D printing, you know, now they're sending 3D printers up in the space shuttle so they can print their own parts. Right. Um, I was just at a conference uh, a couple of days ago where you know, Caterpillar is, is putting 3D printers out in the field because every hour they're down, it's $40,000. So if they can print the component and do it. So they're managing risk by leveraging technology. Um, I'll bet you if they just did that in a vacuum and they didn't talk to their IT folks, they probably never thought about that, that they could put a 3D printer <laughs> to actually make something. Right. And that's the beauty of applying technology into things. Um, you know, what was the minimal thing we could do? Well, we can't. We can't make every part redundant, but we can give you a way to make redundant parts. It's time for Sanity Check, a segment where we listen to real engineers' questions like, why the heck does my manager do this thing that drives me nuts? Games have been changed to protect the innocent. (laughs) 
we got a two-part question in our mailbag today. So the first part is, I work as a system engineer at a networking vendor. Our project engineer has said that we're using Agile, but that as an Agile shop, we can also selectively choose not to apply Agile methods and practices. Our release cycle are many months long, sometimes over a year. Are we really using Agile? So I'll turn it over to, to you, John. <laughs> do you think is part of being Agile, picking and choosing what Agile things you do? There's, there's certain core things you must do. So there's certain feedback loops. For example, um, retrospectives, right? Talking about what's working, what's not working. You can't create an improving a team that continually improves if you can't talk about what's working and what's not working, right? So um, working in short increments is also key. Why? That's a feedback loop. Every week, every two weeks, we go through our project management. We say, hey, are we managing scope, cost, you know, quality? Are we checking these things? Are we? Um, can we all understand the whole system? Um, are we continually learning? So there's, there's a lot of fundamental practices. Making your work visible is very important. I'm not a tool fan because people game tools. They, they shove things in tools. Um, out here, even in our studio, we duplicate it, right? Um, well, our, our sales funnel for Lean Dogs are physical cards going across the wall, right? Yet we still have it on a tool because we do forecasting. So I, I think there are certain things you must do. I mean, clearly in this case, uh, you should never wait that long to ship anything. I mean, that, that is a big telltale sign that you really aren't working incrementally because the big bang is big risk. And we're trying to, you know, by, by doing something small and pushing it out, we're going to learn whether we did it right. We're going to learn whether the product works right. First of all, that's the most important. Does the customer get value out of it? Is the quality right? Right. Cause we're really, now we're really using it, not just testing using it. It's actually using. So if we aren't doing those things in small increments, we probably aren't working agile. Big bang releases are out, but without understanding that, yeah, it's kind of hard, but, but there's definitely fundamentals and you should be doing the fundamentals and, um, open workspaces, physical cards, retrospectives, standups, um, shipping frequently. It's very important. I, well, so I, I have a similar example to that, but it was for an applications project and it was a huge project and it was such that it had to be released all as one. So, but they still wanted to do two week iterations. And so what they decided to do was, we're still going to build every two weeks and we're going to show value and we will do the retrospectives and we'll, we'll plan each iteration out. And then each iteration got released to like a release build. So even though there was the big bang at the end, you were still doing the iterations throughout the, the build, the full, time that it took to build the end product. And so then yeah. you are getting that feedback yeah. loop in there. So maybe, maybe that instead of just calling it one long release, they still break it into smaller ones and they have, they have a, a gold copy or release area where they're building their most recent changes into. Yeah, that's a really good point. That what release means could mean different things to different people. And as long as you're getting that feedback yeah. and doing the, the retrospectives and the in incremental improvement, that it could still be agile. Right. That's a good distinction. Um, the second part of their question <laughs> says, we are working full tilt boogie about 80% of the way completing a major upgrade release when the program manager dropped by the lab and told us we have to include three new features in the current release. I feel really demoralized. We've been working on this release so long now, it seems like it's never going to end. How can I influence the situation to pare down the requirements and complete this project without sounding like I'm whining or complaining? Well, so I'll, I'll take this yeah, one and then, sure. and then, you know, John, John sure. being the expert, he can weigh in. I, so part of Agile, the manifesto says we welcome change. And if the business, I'm assuming that the program manager is like the business customer, 
we, we accept change. We recognize that change is going to happen. And if you want to add a new feature, we can absolutely do it. You'll help us prioritize how does this stack up to the other work we were planning on doing. And then maybe you add a release or two as a result. But if the business customer is saying, this is important enough, and even though we didn't define it before, I'm saying we need it done now. So that thinking for that person, they need to tilt their thinking on that and be open to change. That that is a that is a key tenant of agile. Yeah. So there's the, typically three different types of scope. There's plan scope. There's unplanned scope. And there's discovered scope. Right. So plan. Yeah. We thought of it. We wrote a card. We knew we were gonna have to do this. Um, unplanned. Wow. I know. I gave it to Dana and he used it. And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> okay. So, um, so, or you could call that. You know, or you could call. It, I'm sorry. That would be discovered scope. Right. Mm-hmm. Discovered. Yeah. The only way I can't really ship it unless I. You know, we're gonna redo this part to make it right because that's what he needs. Um, right. And then there's, um, unplanned where, well, we should, we should have thought of it. <laughs> you know, we were, we were, but we didn't know, know about it. So, so typically when we, when we create a backlog, we'll say, okay, well, Jesus, 2000 story points. Um, and we're, we're going to allow for 100 points of unplanned, 200 points of discovered that we have a little bit of, it's not a pad. We just expect that in the creative process, we're probably going to learn stuff. Um, and why that in? So the date's not going to change. And the only thing we can control is scope. So if we're going to take those three new requirements on, we have to figure out what we're going to take off. So if we're writing cards and we're sizing cards and we can say, okay, you just asked me for three things. And this, this one's an extra large card, a large card, a medium card. We use t-shirt sizes. We don't use point. We don't, mm-hmm. but it's how right. we teach. And so the, you have to take something off your plate. Um, one of the key components of agile is sustainable pace. We work hard 40 because we work in an open environment. We're pairing. We're work, we're working so hard. We don't go home to pet projects. <laughs> we go home to do, be home and be around family and sports, whatever we need to do, right? To, to recharge. The, the challenge of agile is that when that, ha- if that happens continually, then you just burn people out and you're like, I need a hero effort to get these three points in. As professionals, we, it, we need to do that sometimes. I'm not saying we don't, but it should be the exception rather than the rule. And if the exception happened because, you know, how, how is it that very late in the game we discovered these three things? Like what happened, you know, how, how can we make sure that doesn't happen next time? Right. What, what was the root cause of that? What are the five whys as to why that happened? Um, were they just trying to, Hey, I'm in line with it. So I'm just layering things on or there's a really true business value there. So typically if we had things late in the game, we, we failed earlier in the game and we just didn't, didn't, we didn't talk to our customers enough. We didn't really kind of flesh out what we're, what we're trying to build here. It sounds like if I'm listening, right. There's a couple of pieces that this uh, listener can can do. One is that they can in themselves be agile, mm-hmm. <laughs> be flexible to change, and not freak out about change. Another thing that they can do is that they can provide feedback that say, okay, if you want uh, these right. three new cards, these are three cards that would be good tr- to trade yeah. to their manager and, or their team leader so yeah. that they can advocate for them. And then lastly, they should definitely bring this up in the retrospective so absolutely. that people know they're suffering burnout yeah. and they can do something about it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, if you find yourself frustrated or scratching your head about something IT management's doing and you want to ask us about it, you can send us an email at nextlevel at packetbrigade.com or you can use the anonymous SurveyMonkey link in the show notes. All sources are kept confidential and real names will never be used on the air. One question I want to ask Don, you know, I know you had a long, a good tenure as an IT manager. How can Agile be used at the management layer? So is the question, you know, if someone wanted to get into um, agile project management, like stepping into their first role as a manager, and how can how can they do that in an agile environment? Yeah, I think that would be interesting to figure out. <laughs> yeah, so I really think it's career path wise. I think there are a lot more options in an agile environment to 
be a leader, you know, that there is such tight collaboration and all, and everyone on the team has a voice. You could, you could step into an agile project as someone that leads the daily standups or is responsible for helping to assign cards or to help size the cards and, and then step into, um, maybe a full on project management role after getting some experience uh, leading smaller activities within the agile project team agile as a as an industry as a um, as a career path has really grown so when I first started doing agile this is back in 01 after the manifesto and there was not a lot about servant leadership and and agile transformations and leading change and um, it's a it's a very rich career path all the way from being an agile PM to a coach to help with change management and bringing on senior leaders. So I think there are a lot of steps into agile from a career path perspective uh, that, that maybe you, you didn't actually see in a waterfall type environment. One of the things I'm hearing is that it's, there's a lot of exciting career possibilities. And so, and now that it's established and has enough momentum, that's something that people should think about. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And then a lot of certifications as well. Uh, yeah. You know, you, you, I'm sure know all the different certifications to, that people could pursue, which would also help further their career. I've just been around for a while. Um, one of the challenges with Agile, I mean, it was good and bad is the, the certifications. I, I mean, like CSM, I mean, you go, you sit through a three day class and you're a certified master. You really aren't, right? You just sat through a three day class. Um, you haven't even practiced yet, right? And I try to apply the craft. So I, when I, when we look for people who want to go into Agile, um, and go to be a scrum master, iteration manager. We, we like to call it iteration manager because we believe in iterations. Whether you don't Kanban or scrum, we don't care. So we don't, we don't like the scrum master term. Um, I went and I'm looking for somebody who's well-rounded. Have you stopped, have you read, um, uh, there's seven pillars of certain leadership. Have you studied lean and you studied scrum? Um, have you paired with anybody even tried this? Right. So, you know, I, I think that but humans, if you look at the learning pyramid, 80% of the way people learn is actually pairing with someone. Right. We're doing the work with them because you're doing it in, in your, con- in their, in the right context. Whereas I just went to a class or I read a book. So my point is if you, if you're interested and you think you want to do this, find someone who's really doing it, who you think is the best and see if you can shadow them for a week or two. Right. And I've had people come here to apply for lean dog. They've taken off vacation just to go shadow somebody at another company just to really, so they could say, Hey, I didn't just take a three day class. I actually have. Paired up with my mentor. This is my mentor, and this is what I learned from them. And you know, I sat through a release plan, store fair rating, show and tells retrospect. I've done all these things, uh, and this is my learning plan for myself. Um, a lot of times, uh, good scrum masters will not just uh, just manage; they will actually do. Right? They're there to, to to when they see a blockage in flow, they're willing to jump in and do the job. Okay, I'm not talking; they don't have to code. Um, you, but if they may have to work great requirements or do testing or, or go, let's go work with our infrastructure teams, pull them into the room and facilitate. So typically, um, when we go agile, we actually see less management in organizations because mm-hmm. we're empowering teams. Right. And so sometimes that means when we go into cor- organizations, the people who were so-called managers say, well, you know, I was actually happier when I was a developer or a test. I just had to go up the ladder. So I went into management. And so we always look for that saying, Hey, do what you're passionate about. First, right? Don't, don't chase a ladder. And so, um, that, and, and some of the best, uh, lead, servant leaders are, are people with a learning and development background. Why? Because that's your job. Your job is to build your team. 
thanks to our listeners for giving us their time uh, and we'd love to get your feedback on the show you can leave comments on the blog post that accompanies this podcast on packetpushers.net or drop us a line at nextlevel at packetbrigade.com and thanks for listening 